Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Isirka, a digital journey of self-discovery. My name is Amina Isir, and thank you so much for joining me on my journey. Today, we're going to go back to the beginning. In 2015, during my first trip, the first friend that I made was Weris. And honestly, the first time we met, we sat down together and we talked for hours. And it was the first time that I was meeting another diaspora girl. And I was like, how, how is this going for you? Like, how is life being here? Da, 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 da. She's like, don't worry, girl, I got you. And we've been like literally attached at the hip ever since. Continuing to process, continuing to explore, kind of make sense of what Somaliland gave us, what the journey and experience did for us, and how it, how we continue to want to grow from there. So this conversation will really be a bit about what is the story. I would always leave. I would just come for the summer and then I would leave. But what is stayed there for a couple of years. And so she shares a little bit about her experiences being there um, and her story. And when we were talking about this, um, we were really like when we first met, we got to Somaliland. We were really stuck on like, what does it mean to be Somali? We were trying to kind of synthesize, and understand our Somali identity and it's something we still grappled with like years years later um and shange who wrote for colored girls has this quote she says being alive a woman is all i got but being black is a metaphysical dilemma i haven't conquered yet and this episode and this conversation is really centered on like if we remixed it to fit this story it would be being alive and being woman is all i got but being Somali is a metaphysical dilemma I haven't conquered yet. So enjoy this conversation um, and stay tuned for more. Hi, Wittis. How are Hi. you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I can't believe it's already December. I'm looking forward to this year being over. Same, sis. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I- I've gotten like the healing and all that everyone's talking about, you know, during quarantine with the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm kind of just like, now nah, I'm done, I guess. It's like, can't, yeah. Like I'm like, I reflected. Game. I did yoga. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've done, you know, almost started journaling all the way. You know, I've never journaled before, but I actually took down to pen and paper for my thoughts. So I did things. Oh, yes. I told, yeah. so I met Weris in Hergesa. She was the first diaspora person that I met. And Weris stayed in Hergesa for like, years upon years after that and I always told her to journal and she yeah. never journaled and now never we're here for this audio journaling so what you is would have really helped. yeah okay yeah. so let's go back to I guess who you were like maybe like 10 years ago or even before that like as you were growing up like so yeah. what did Somaliness like mean to you so I went to Somalia when I was five I was taken there when I was five. My mom from we left from Toronto. We were supposed to, like everyone's story, go for a trip. <laughs> um, and we never came back. <laughs> so I left Canada at age five and was thrown into Arapsio, um with my sister. A little farm town. They're mainly all farmers. Everybody lives off their farm and what it produces either through food or you know, selling it to other little ladies to sell them how to get to the market. We had to like be like every other kid there. 
gone with the birthdays, birthday celebration. My dad's like, make sure they don't celebrate that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. He's like, people back home don't do that. So make sure they don't. Do he gave her a list of guidelines, even with FGM. So Alhamdulillah <laughs> for that oh, one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, you can't do that if you're going to bring the girls back. So that can happen. I end up going to school there. Like, Practically just immersing, becoming a local Somali girl. And jeans were gone. I was wearing my dress. I was wearing my jalabibs. I thought that was really cool. Um, roaming the streets at Arapsiya, jumping off. They have like a huge cliff, jumping off the cliff. <laughs> just like goats hurting, you know, just everything. Uh, I remember one memory leaving my sister. We saw women. At this point, I think we were six or seven, like we've been three years there. And like really by then, I felt like I was there all my life. Mm. I wasn't any different than the other kids. Because first when we came, we didn't speak any Somali. Um, And I got bullied a lot for that. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, um, and my sister is one other defending me. So by the end, I was part of it. Like my memory, I didn't have like Canada was such a long, like I knew I came from somewhere called Canada, mm. but I didn't know really what it was. I remember just like my home and like my dad, but I didn't remember much of it. So we were there. Yeah. From 1995 to 1999. Um, we were there when like all the homes were destroyed. There was not mm. a single, there was no lights. There were no TV. Like we had one little place that we used to go to like a theater, but it was an event theater. It's like, maybe a 40 inch TV sitting on a little booster and like uh and then they were wielded it and we had another room and all the kids would watch and watch film Hindi dubbed in mm-hmm. English so that was my life for about five years um and then I came back to Canada um when I was almost uh, 10 I think at 10 I believe so I came back when I was 10 I had to relearn English when we came back and we learned about like Somali because I'll be like I'm from Somalia. I didn't speak any English. I had to relearn English, mm. um, and they would, you know, like I guess I kind of subscribed to the media's idea of Africa when we see it all always on the image. So I was like, oh, and I remember it because I came from somewhere that recently there was a war. <laughs> you know, when we went there, so it was it was like houses start chachaban, you know, or falling apart. There were no electricity. Kids were just wearing pants sometimes and no shirt and no shoes. Like that's, I didn't wear shoes. So I just, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that is Africa. And then when I came back, I was like, I do not want to go there. Oh, there's TV here, my own TV in my own. Mm-hmm. Do you live in huts? I'm like, and the thing is we have like Akal Somali. And then like a lot of people live in Akal Somalis because their homes were destroyed. So I used to be like, you live in like a little bowl. Like, you know how they describe yeah. a hut. Yeah, they'll be like, you live in a hut. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. People don't live in huts. <laughs> you can go to Somalia as a hut. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of try to like completely separate myself from that. So then when I came back, I'm like, okay, I got to learn English. So I really immersed myself in learning English, really like just becoming part of the Canadian society because I didn't want to be, and you know, being back like othered. I hated the idea of, oh, we can't speak the language, but we were kids. So we picked it up real quick. And I just try to be exactly like the kids that I saw in school. Uh, mainly everybody we went with in my school was white. A couple of Somali kids. I wasn't focused on the Somali identity because I was like, oh, at home, I still speak Somali to my mom. Yeah. I still, yeah, uh, I knew about family members back home. So it wasn't like completely disconnected from, but like when I went to school, it was completely. Like I make sure mm-hmm. that part of me really didn't stand out. Yeah. I guess I want to really forget that I didn't speak English because being the only person at 
10 years old, everyone showed me around. I felt embarrassed that I couldn't speak English. So I just made sh- really worked hard that I was able to. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of abandoned one, I guess, <laughs> and focused on one more, which was the Canadian side. Um, up until university, honestly. I remember beginning of uni, what I would say would be like, if my mom were to like pass away or so, my Somaliness will end there. Like I would be like, okay, what reason would I have to go back to Somalia? Like mm-hmm. I have nothing, <laughs> like no connection. So when my mom suggested, because I did first, I didn't want, I, um, I said African studies. So I just wanted to go first to Ghana, like the places that you generally study yeah. about the slave trade. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go to Ghana, check out the Gulf Coast. I wanted to go to um, South Africa. I want like those places I wanted to go. And even Kenya. And my mom was like, no, let's go first before you do all that. Let's go back to Somalia. Um, it's not what you think it is anymore or the idea of you had of it, you have of it. So I was like, okay, I wasn't against it totally. I was like, you know what? You're right. Let me go back and see before I even begin my journey of like all across Africa, my African journey, my African tour, I should check out Somalia. Mm. So yeah. And that led to when I graduated, like six months after February 1st, 2015, I hopped on a plane and I went to Hargeisa. What were your expectations when you went there? Like, what did you think that you, like, did you have any, like, personal, professional, like, aspirations in going there? Yeah, when I first went there, because I wanted to, I wanted to study in a sector that I studied in school. So I was like, oh, I would like to do some NGO work. So I thought maybe I could do some NGO work. And with that, like, I want to come do work or job or learn or something. So when I came there, obviously, I expect, a little bit of like you know kind of I, we talked about it, like a kind of welcoming home like coming back like being ah I'm here you know um not the first thing when I came you know mm-hmm. people talking about I don't want to get too much into but the way I'm dressed or <laughs> like guy pulling out my bag two guys fighting over my luggage that's what I came home did you, to like, wait what did you wear when you arrived at the airport though I wore like okay so this is the story we my mom no, my mom knew I was going to Hargeisa. Mm-hmm. She let this is how misguided my packing was. She never said where to say. Like I thought, like Islamic. So I thought if I can wear uh, like a dress or something to my kneecaps, and I'm wearing my jeans underneath, it will be okay. <laughs> um, I thought long shirts in the back that had flowiness with long, like flowy pants. So let's just say I packed some pair of jeans, a lot of my summer dresses. Um, and they weren't long, like they're knee length. So I just thought I could wear something. <laughs> oh uh, so when I first went, my first day, I bought my packet hijab from Dubai. I put it on and I had leggings with a shirt that had the back was all the way low. Like you went to the, into the front, but the front was cropped at thigh length. Oh, okay. So really what I was wearing was just leggings. So leggings with a long shirt. One side was longer. The booty end was long, was long in the back. And in the front, it was really short. I knew I messed up when I was, when I just got stairs. From the Ayeo to the old man, they're just looking at me with my mom and my brother. I'm just standing there. And I'm just like, like, heka again. Like, what is this? <laughs> you, so your mom never like, said anything to you. She just thought you were like. Never. My mom never said, what is it? She just said, hijab went hirata. 
you know what is <laughs> um so i'm like so islamic friendly she's like how was but i don't honestly now i'm thinking well either she did it i honestly don't think she knew the level because you yeah. did it she just goes into her like and it just blends right in right to her mm-hmm. it wasn't like oh what is who never wore like doesn't wear dress isn't I don't think she thought of me. I honestly thought when I went back, I guess like a whole movie. Homecoming. Yeah, homecoming. Like I would just like an immediate, like uh, just a sentence of peace. Yeah. <laughs> and acceptance, self-acceptance, and acceptance of who I am and all the things, the answers that I guess I wanted, like just to be, they would automatically just come. And that's not how exactly it played out. So, okay. So I went back, I was working, I did get to do, I did research when I worked there. I worked for a research institute that was a local NGO. It was nice. I liked the aspect of field work. I really enjoyed field work because you got to see, like, you got to be around the people, the local people, you got to speak to them about issues that affected them or they thought or that's how they think or how us it's like just I work um I went to different den so you know how to get everyone has a different tribe and I found out the I will say this honestly the, the girl side was very sweet <laughs> and question everyone it was so nice versus any other side <laughs> gang, 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 gang. yeah so I got to yeah go around and like like different like tribe areas, different people, like women. I got to do research that was only based on women. High security, got to talk to high security officials and get to see ministries. It was, I like that aspect. I like that intro. But I also got to see a lot of how um, how working there is, the uh, restrictions for women there. Then also then there was the restrictions put on me as a woman who is Somali, who is diaspora. So I felt like <laughs> that's how it went. First, it was, I was a woman, then I was diaspora, then I was a Somali. So now I'm in a place where everybody's Somali, everybody's Black. Um, I thought that's what I came for. I was looking for, I wanted. So what happened to me is I felt like first in our country or Somaliland, the issue is that as a woman, you're kind of a second-class citizen there. Coming to terms with that, for me, was harsh. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you are a second-class citizen, then being seen as diaspora, there's also a level of things that come with that. So diaspora being that anything I brought, like, I'm not used to, I'm able to, I'm used to being able to express my ideas openly, um, being able to talk to somebody and they hear me out and I hear out their ideas or being able to have come some kind of dialect with somebody, even if you agree or disagree. I was not used to being always shut up, shut down, um, rejected because mm-hmm. of my diaspora, because my ideas were too seen or too wild. Um, also I was a young woman, uh, at the age of 25, I felt like I was 15 years old because I was dismissed from everything um, because I wasn't married, um, because I came from Canada, because like, so I just, there was just so many things that came that started to build up against me and that made me kind of hate it. Do you remember how about like that guy said that, that you, there should be a class for diaspora when they come to Somaliland and yeah. be the local culture? Basically, like you came in as a foreigner, so you didn't know what the social cues are, what the social yeah. are. So you didn't want all your intentions and your friendliness to be taken for uh, something yeah. else. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to be misguided. I didn't want 
and I, I, I didn't want them, I didn't like the idea of being explained to my culture, but like, where is even being pulled aside, where is, do you know? <laughs> you don't know? you think you would have like been, um, don't you think that really would have helped you? Like now looking back, like, I think we had this ego, right? Like we're Somali, we're yeah. not Shagan. Yeah, but yeah. But we didn't know anything and we just- but That's what you said. You said I should, we should have came in as a tourist and I genuinely, that would have been lovely. Um, um, it got better when I met people. So it was like the grand scheme of it in the beginning, I was dealing with work, I was de- dealing with what it meant. And then I got to meet people and I think that helped my process of even opened me up. Um, and the people I met, I would say it was like during the summers when everybody came, Amina for say was my first official friend in Somaliland. Um, and we kind of drove around discovering Hargeisa together. <laughs> and, yeah venting about things that we've seen or things we're going with it, it was nice but i also realized like we created a bubble kind of of our like you can't help it when you go back but to create like even though how much i wanted to be around like i was gonna be with local because i was working with local people and everything and i got to be friends with them but i felt like my friendship wasn't genuine because i felt like i wasn't telling the real me regardless like you meet p- different people um, and then different people, there's level of conservative, not conservative, level of outgoing, not outgoing. Some men don't think they should even interact with you because you're a woman. So all of that, just to be, then when I got to meet people who speak English, who under, like, I felt like we were like all camaraderie coming together being like, do you see the shit too? Like, it was like, do you see what I'm seeing? Like, is it happening to you too? And everybody being like, oh my God, yes. Or can you believe like that? that helped a lot and you're like okay so this is not just only me that's going through this it's not something i'm not the only one struggling with this even yeah that that helped and it was nice and um up until 2016 and that's when i started to really like by then i was yeah when i got to a year i think is when i expired Oh yeah, she wasn't diaspora anymore. Like she was, yeah. <laughs> when I came back the second summer, I'm like, hey, and then all like the sparkleness and the joys of like new adventures and naivety was gone. And it was like, I lived this life and I need to navigate. So then no more smiling, happy. Like I remember, do you remember one time we tried to wave at little kids and we smiled at them and see if they smiled back and they looked at us like we were crazy. Yeah. And so like by the second summer, I was like, hey, what is? And then you were like, no, there's no <laughs> happiness. <laughs> yeah, 2016 wasn't a good year. Like Alhamdulillah when it passed by, to be honest. But I also just realized like by the fall I lived with, I was there like everybody gets to leave I felt like everybody that I got to meet went back um I was just tired of meeting like it's nice place to meet people you're meeting constantly new people yeah. you're getting new ideas yeah like also like what I love and I guess I kept one I stayed longer for was that being there you get to meet so many different Somalis that speak like I saw Somalis that speak fluent Chinese <laughs> I saw someone to speak Malay, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, Dutch, like every, every Somali, like every Somali spoke a different language. And that was just a cool concept that we all hear speaking Somali together, even if you didn't understand each other through English or whatever language you spoke, we all came together through Somali. That's what was all bringing us back. And I thought that was really cool. But I also got to feel being there for a couple of years, the, what the locals go through, because yes, we have so many people coming back, 
um, you get to meet, but also so many people get to leave. So after a while, you're kind of tired. Like there's a fatigue, there's a, like a standpoint where you're like, okay, I'm done. Like all of you are the same. And I'm sure each one of us, when we come through, go through the identical crisis a little bit of like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> what is this? And then they lift that and they leave. And then someone else, and just to constantly go through the different people, they're like, I don't want to get to know you. I don't know what, I don't want to know what you're about. Mm-hmm. I don't want to care what country you came from. Like that happened. Even for me, that happened for me. So I was like, at that point, I can see why the locals are tired of us. <laughs> yeah but we all come there like so bright eyed and we've traveled so long it's taken us so many years to get here and I get it like if not everyone wants to talk to us that's cool but yeah. I think what was really nice about the first summer is that we all found a place to find each other and that was something that yeah. we weren't able to replicate all the years after that yeah. it does get to be repetitive but I think it's also for me as a visitor every year it was like all right let's see who we're gonna meet and like what they're about and then you know it's just also challenge the mundanity of western life but for you as you started to adjust like you stayed there up until 2007 you left one time right between 2015 and 2017 I left 2016 November and then I came I was just gone for five months I just needed a reset (laughs) and that's when I came back yeah oh but you came back because you got married right yes that's what I came back for that was during the wedding yeah yeah, and like, to live there and to be, yeah, to extend even, can you believe it? <laughs> no, well, 2016, it was like... Yeah, 2016, but then, I, yeah, my 2016 years, it was a bad year and I was hating it, but that's also when I met my husband. So he changed kind of, I think, the trajectory of my like anger and like me trying to get out of there as soon as possible. He did change it. So that's what, why afterwards I liked it. I, I didn't hate it as bad as well. And I got to see the world through his eyes. You know, yeah, I allowed myself to fully be comfortable with someone there and like able to show me and tell me stories and got to talk. And yeah, as I said before, I wasn't judged at all. I was able to express and talk and like that kind of changed and I got to learn a little bit more, you know. Yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he yeah. explained, he, he always was explaining like how things yeah. were there. So I think yeah. it was like, I think part of like what I saw in you is that when you understand what you're facing with, yeah. then you can respond to it. But if you it's don't even true. understand what you're facing, then you're just like, no. what the fuck is happening? What yeah, the fuck is happening? fighting in the dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He helped a lot of it. Actually, that should be like being able to talk to somebody. And I think that's what we need to have. Like, we just be like, you need to be patient with us. You need to understand. Like, but then I guess we need to understand being that, like, there is a miscommunication. There is never going to be a place where I think, I don't think there's going to be a place we can meet because in order for that to be, there has to be a lot of empathy from each Mm -hmm. side. And I think at that moment, when you're going through it, empathy is the last thing you're thinking of, you know? Even for them, they just don't, when you see this day in and day out, they don't care. (laughs) Like, now I'm thinking about Mahan Ona, not an identity crisis. But I guess I think um, that, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just too like it's different. There's how can you like yes, I, for me like food is not like right now my main focus, but my identity as a human is like being away. Like you have a sound mind knowing that you're Somali, and that's like there's such freedom in that, and then no one can mess you up and everything. But also for I understand that about you, but you also need to understand like they can, they, yeah, it's gonna be hard to understand each other at all. I don't think we're ever gonna get to a place of understanding, to be honest. Right. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of the, co- the conversation that I had yesterday. <laughs> like, and that's what I kind of really emphasized and made clear for me is like, because I'm like, okay, we need to find a middle ground. So then 
like I was like, oh, the arts, and that is the only thing we all have, yeah, really, but not yeah. everybody really yeah. like, relates mm-hmm. to it. But I think that is as the next generation, like if we look at a 30 year old living in the West and a 30 year old, what the I think you're right, there isn't much of a middle ground, yeah. but we still find ways to connect and like when you just get to a place where you just realize that what a school they're behind he and then as long as yeah. each person is getting what they need then you just yeah. move so there's something you said earlier about how you met so many different types of people while yeah. you were there do you yeah. feel like you had the opportunity for your world to be bigger more in Somaliland or in Ottawa in Somaliland 100% which is why I stayed so long which is why I didn't want to leave and even till now like I get pings of I want to go back so mm-hmm. for me, it's pretty obvious. Like for me, if I decide a one thing from being in Somaliland for so long, I do not want to live in North America anymore. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to Africa. I want to live somewhere in Africa. I haven't found where yet. And, it's, and I would want to go back and visit and inshallah, like that's never going to end. Yeah. But I don't think living there for me is something that's possible. As a woman, it's really hard. And I, I really want for my sister's in there to know that there is bigger world than what's you know our brothers think that we deserve or should be or how we should act that's not something that's part of the quran and that should that's liberated to be used against the woman that's why actually if anything i became a feminist through mm. somaliland mm. my dean as a muslim became stronger mm-hmm. there and also i really got into education and how i feel like Educating women there really, truly would be the only result. They already carry it on their back with barely no recognition or no some kind of supports. Okay, so let's speak a little bit more about that. So even when you said the dean part and the feminist, Mm -hmm. all these ideals, ideologies that Mm -hmm. you gained from being there, was it because Mm -hmm. people gave it to you or like how did you come across that? Because I think I was, because those are the things, the elements that I was fighting for constantly Mm -hmm. over time. And I realized that it was a, it was a common theme. Um, my right to practice my religion, how I see. <laughs> um, my ability to take up space as a woman and be able to just be, being able to just be who I am and God created me to be without like all this or w- what the sheikh or <laughs> um, the little boy who is 15 years 50 years younger than me thinks I should be or look like like when an eight-year-old tells you to cover your neck when you're walking by him that is kind of (laughs) traumatizing you're like how is he at eight years old you already know what or what you shouldn't say to women how you should police me yeah or what I should wear yeah those yeah that those theme came to my life because it was something I was constantly defending Somalia is like this very 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 foreign like place thing entity that's like so not a part of my normal life um so I think it was I don't know a big part of this experience for me is making it normalized so that I don't have to keep taking two-week trips there and going halfway around the world (laughs) (laughs) how can we feel like we're still a part of it and then every year every time or every trip like I'm like now I think the space away has given me a huge space for reflection you know I was never able to reflect in the same way while I was in it and like Mm -hmm. even and now I'm like okay I will go back one day but it's not for the same things or for the same reasons and I'm also like I'm also okay with going back just to see it and then leaving like I think it's I like what it gave me but not what it is if that makes sense 
because we have like we had an imaginary image of what we thought it was then our actual engagement in the process and then finally coming out with some sort of alignment and be like okay um i am <laughs> like somali i am okay with my definition of what being somali is um my parents may have an idea even for them i think is an idea more so than i don't think they even know the really because even my mom is shocked when she goes back every time and being mm. like oh this is not and that's one of the common thing everybody kept saying that these are not the Somalis from the 1980s. Like you are seeing the ripple effect of people who are were distressed, who have mental trauma, who have gone through periods of hunger. These are not, this shouldn't be an example of your definition of what a Somali is. Yeah, that's uh-huh. That's exactly what everybody kept saying. So I was like, okay, there isn't, but these are also being coming down. These are the people that we have. So then where do I go from here? Yes. What do I do with this? And that was just being me being like, Somalia is my home. That is where I'm from. Um, home being not, um, home being a place of, how can I be? A vacation home. Somalia is like a vacation home too. Yep. Small, small doses. Very small doses. <laughs> yeah. I travel when I need to come in, you know, see it, smell it, just get, you know, the recharge you need. Ooh, the spiritual recharge, I feel like just being yeah. back home. There is some energy there that you don't feel anywhere else. Um, there is a level of, ha, I'm here. Like the place I heard about. Um, the place that like, oh my, just the idea of like years and years of years of my family have been from here or are from here. Those, no one can take that away from you. So, but do you think that's what makes it so special? The fact that we never had that growing up. So now as adults, it's like such a big part of our, like our adult lives. Yes. Because, okay, being here, you constantly ask where the hell you're from. So, <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from? Where are you born from? In Ottawa. And they're like, no, where are you and from? Like, yeah, what do you mean? Do you mean ethnicity? <laughs> My ethnicity, where I'm from originally, or do you mean where I'm from now? Because I'm from Ottawa. Um, no, it's like, where are you from? So, like, I had, yeah, like, everybody wants a home. Like, everybody would like an idea of, yes, okay, other than native, no one's from Canada. So, where I'm from, Somalia. And when I explain someone to what Somali is, how do I go about it? You know, I never wanted to come from a place of trauma. (laughs) Um, What is my definition of Somalia? Mm -hmm. Mine is a nice vacation home that has lovely people um, and small dosages, um, a beautiful sun. um, We have nice, beautiful beaches. um, You know, just, I guess I focus on the things that I liked now. Um, also being aware that my privilege of like, I can leave. <laughs> Whatever Say I that again, sister. <laughs> I can't leave. Oh, you know, I'm, I can come, I can stay It is like get the recharge that I need or wh- wherever I came for at that moment. Cause sometimes you don't even know, you don't think you're going to go to Somalia. And somehow like a lot of people are like, Oh, I didn't expect it. And then like my mom told me and I end up going there and you know, and they're so um, happy to be there. Like, way nasa yeah. 
oh my God, look at the country and how much it has changed. And mashallah, like they're so happy. Too. Yeah, all our parents, my mom too, like she thrives when she goes back there. So for be able to, and then just me, I guess, watching her thriving and her living and her laughing and her joking with these people. I'm just like, damn, all right. Like, it's nice to see your parents in a different show, your parents in a different light. It shows you them finally laughing and understanding jokes <laughs> without you explaining. Actually, the one who, I think it becomes like a shift of power kind of. Yeah. for my mom yeah for, for her like suddenly it's like okay now let me teach you you know it's always like me helping or explaining or guiding and they're coming from a place of that to not be able to like fully stand up straight you know with their back fully yeah. and your mom and, was yeah. like i'm gonna teach you like yeah i just want to say the last thing is that what i learned from samala is embracing my duality that's what it was okay Embr- Thing. yeah I understand like when I embrace my duality that set me free like completely free as a person as a Somali woman as a woman as a Canadian the Canadian witness and the Somali witness finally came together there was like a whole collision of <laughs> uh, just being like like there's not one place I am and that the fact that I even have I'm bicultural like I feel like I'm lucky more ways than other actually there's a a superpower I feel like now Mm. that's how I look at it of a place of superpower I don't have to just choose one I got two that I get to you know bounce between and choose and be Mm. able to live in and I'm a person because of that I can be a chameleon I can blend in with so many other spaces Yeah, it allows me, like, I choose to not anymore dwell on what my duality brought me, but embrace it and understand Mm -hmm. that it's more of a power than it is more of a curse. So that's just what I'm saying. (laughs) Being alive and woman is all I got, but being Somali is a medical, physical dilemma I haven't conquered yet. So it sounds to me what is you have conquered it at this point. You've made peace with it. Right now, yeah. I think it's a, it, the real story now begins, actually, to be honest. Yeah, it's just Woo! me settling in. So Somaliland wasn't like, it wasn't um, the like you reaching it. It was just only the beginning of the journey because you had to go through all those experiences yeah. and pressure points and pain points to be brought back home to yourself. Yeah, girl, I love that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>